Latest statistics indicate that the average American spends more than seven hours a day looking at a screen, with younger Gen Zers averaging more than nine hours. Classical Christian schools have the unique advantage of being an influence for an average of six hours given a typical school day. So as we raise up the next generation, how can we be wide-eyed as to the ever-changing challenges of technology while proactively guiding and instructing our children to be wise users of this ever-present modern reality? My guest today is one of the top tech observers and family advocates who is back to share updates of new trends and offer practical ways to parent and instruct students in a world of screens. Join me for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. Always good to have a chance each week to be a part of your life. Thank you for including me. Thank you for your many emails and thoughts and encouragements and suggestions. All those things are always welcome. Info at BasecampLive.com is a way to get directly to me. Uh, We're looking at um, actually putting together here in the next uh, few episodes, bringing Keith McCurdy back on and moving into occasionally doing a FAQ, just what's what's on your mind as listeners and how might Keith McCurdy, who is our frequent guest and Christian counselor and psychologist who is speaking to many of your schools all around the country, and so no stranger to many of you. But if you have questions for Keith or just about parenting or our culture today, email me. We'll, those might very well make their way to a future episode. Uh, this episode is a, a great topic and one that we really can't address enough as we look at Basecamp, not only at Classical Christian 101, but really what's the setting in which we're raising up this generation that we can't escape from. When our kids walk out the door at 301 every day, the Cyclops, the one-eyed screen monster, as I like to say, um, comes uh, right in front of them, despite many of our best efforts. Chris McKenna has been part of Basecamp before, been on in the past. It's been a couple of years, and I thought it was time to bring Chris back. I don't know anybody that's on the front lines in this technology-challenging world more than Chris. He's a former middle school youth director. He's the author of multiple resources for families and churches, including Parenting the Internet Generation, uh, Exposed, Breaking the Silent of Porn for Teens. It's a book resource. And Ready, How to Heal and Protect Your Ministry from Pornography. He has a 2019... Uh, he had an opportunity in 2019 at the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee as an opportunity to give testimony and was a catalyst for new federal and state online child protection legislations that earned his organization Protecting Young Eyes the Defense or the Dignity Defense Alert Award in 2020. His team performs hundreds of presentations at schools and churches and nonprofits and reaches well over a million visits to their popular website annually. He's been featured in the movie Childhood 2.0. Um, Chris and his wife are blessed with four children of their own. So Chris is in the world we're in, living out the challenges, and is offering, I think, a lot of wonderful advice. So I want to, at this point, uh, jump into this great interview with him. But first, just to say a quick thank you to the sponsors of this episode of Basecamp Live, Classical Academic Press, CLT, that's the Classic Learning Test, the Focus Group, and the Good Agency. Here is my interview with Chris McKenna. Chris McKenna, welcome back to Basecamp Live. I am so happy to be back here with you, Davies. Yeah, Chris, you you were uh, 
you were in your topic of technology is is certainly one that if I'm talking to school educators or parents, I don't think we can go more than five minutes and someone doesn't say, hey, this is really weighing on me. Um, I if, if folks who listen to the podcast, I call it the 301 problem. Hey, we get to control culture kind of between 745 and 3, but at 301, Cyclops, that one-eyed scream monster comes out and Honestly, uh, it's a it's a pretty scary competition um, shaping affections against technology. So thank you for all that you do with protecting young eyes, founder and CEO. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit of your story. I know you've been on before. In fact, I look back April 21st, we had a conversation around why parental controls don't work. So I'll let folks go dig that podcast up. But for folks who didn't hear you before, tell a little bit of your story. How did you get into this important work? Yeah, two years. Boy, it goes by quickly. And the demand for it hasn't changed, but it was the demand that didn't even know really existed at the time, which is what gave rise to me creating Protect Young Eyes. And that was parents didn't know what they didn't know. Um, so it came out of a observation as I was leading a large middle school ministry. And Davies, that's where my heart is. I, I love junior high. I know that puts me in a really weird category of humans, but I love that really what I call fabulous and fragile developmental stage of like ages 11 to 14. And I was watching my students in ministry um, start to carry the internet with them. And that's important time frame wise because my role in ministry was from 2009 to 2016. And that's when we started to watch young people carry the internet with them. And that gave me a lot of concern because before, and some of you might remember this, but if you're new, it's important to know why that concerned me. It's because for the 12 years before I was in ministry, I was a business risk consultant for Ernst & Young. My job was to go into large Fortune 500 companies. And in that post-Enron time where risk was under a lot of scrutiny, even at the federal level, my job was to go in and create systems that mitigated and decreased and prevented and detected business risk and financial business processes. So I have, I have a risk mitigation mindset. That's professionally how I was trained. And I, I look at any situation as a parent or as a professional and it's fairly easy for me to pinpoint the what could go wrongs and then i want to try to put systems in place to mitigate those as much as possible now we can't bubble wrap as you know our children from everything otherwise we'll create a whole generation of incredibly unresilient <laughs> easily swayed children right we need them to grow some skin but at the same time um i was watching risks that i didn't believe parents fully appreciated that had the potential to do egregious harm if not taken care of. So Protect Young Eyes was really born out of that consulting desire in ministry to fix a problem and closed Facebook group turned into a sort of a viral news story here in West Michigan, which then led to a website, which then led to some of the opportunities that we have yeah. now. So that's that's the backstory. That is, you were clearly the man for the, the the job of that background. God knew uh, in preparing you for it. And yeah, you landed June, what, June of 2007, Steve Jobs uh, uh, offered the world this crazy new device uh, and the Apple smartphone. And then two years later, there you are in youth ministry. So you really did get to see the fallout of this thing um, in, in pretty short order. Well, Chris, I want to, you know, there's a lot we can talk about. And just so folks know, we're towards the end, we'll get into all of the, everybody wants to know, which filter am I supposed to use? And, and what grade should I give them the phone? And all those questions that we've talked about before. But I am always curious because there's nothing static in this space. And with a world that uh, 
you know, worship science more than God, the, the press and the push right now for all kinds of new technologies. We'll talk a little bit about art, artificial intelligence, but what are you seeing? I mean, since we talked last, what's been trending in the last two years? What's concerning you? Well, we still don't have what I would call, you know, an overwhelming amount of causation-like evidence, really, that we want, right, to go, yes, this plus this equals this. This type of child plus this type of digital space will always or predictably equal this kind of outcome. But what we do have, Davies, are more and more signals that us who care about young people and care about their hearts and their development and their spirit and there are signals that are starting to almost like a harmony start to say similar things and i'm not willing to wait for like the concrete this is a hundred percent true kind of evidence because i think a lot of us know anecdotally we know experientially we know in our hearts enough to go okay these are signals worth listening to right and so signals like a study that just came out on monday um, looking at um, infants where they were measuring actual um, brain development wired towards um, attention and executive functioning. And they looked at children who had just been born, then at 18 months, and they studied them up until age nine. And then were correlating what they were observing neurologically with levels of screen time in the nine-year lives of these children. And again, there's uh, a strong association. I'm not going to say every kid who had six hours of screen time turns out this way, but here's an association that seems to point toward a certain level of screen time leading to a certain decreased amount of executive functioning in a nine-year-old child. Wow. Right? That's a signal, right? These are the, the yeah. So these are the sorts of things that we're just starting to have piles of signals that I think we just need to start paying closer and closer attention to. And for many of us as ministry leaders, heads of school, and parents, they're affirming things we have felt and have probably believed to be true for a long time. And science is always going to lag behind what we see in the home, in the classroom, in the schools. And so um, I, I believe that's, you know, more and more what we're going to start to see is some of that affirmation of, gosh, yeah, now I have some data to support what I felt. Right. Well, and I think anecdotally, Again, it's hard to quantify all this, but a lot of my conversations with heads of schools and with educators, in fact, I was thinking about a uh, 12th grade teacher at one of our um, larger, more established schools was telling me just a few weeks ago, he says, I can see in the, just in the attention span, the depth of thought of, of the students that I have right. in my classroom right now is notably different than it was three years ago. And, and it wasn't just, right. you know, classrooms can ebb and flow in their intensity, but he said, no, there is a seismic shift happening in front of us. And I think that's the the challenge, Chris, is because we want to be in the world, but not of it. And I think, you know, to your point earlier, there's a natural tendency to want to bubble wrap to, you know, flip phone till they're 40, you know, kind of an attitude. And, and yet you can't get away from it. The world leeches in and, you know, just the most basic innocent effort to try and help our kids get on a computer to do research. And next thing you know, um, it's where their peer group is. And maybe that might be a good thing, I think, to spend a little time thinking about it. I mean, part of what seems to be this ramping up the snowball effect of, of the addiction of technology, the impact it's having on mental health, on attention span, um, it's very hard, I think, to, again, bubble wrap the kids away from it because it's just how one engages the modern world. What are your thoughts? Well, I see what we are up against somewhat like a basement, right? In a basement, it's most often one of the more humid spots in a house, or it's a spot where maybe you have a little bit of, of leaking or whatever it might be. And what do you do? You 
you seal, you have a humidifier, you put all these things in place that are trying to mitigate some of what is just natural in a basement, a musty kind of basement. But it's almost always going to have a little bit of that no matter what you do. And to me, that's somewhat indicative or somewhat of an illustration that we we simply do have to prepare, protect, um, and, and give uh, our kids at times what feel like a ridiculous number of tools. But I believe that's what's necessary. Um, I know that it feels overwhelming at times, and we want to jump into that space, Davies, as much as possible to provide some of yeah. those practical tips and relief and, and do that. But it it is necessary in order to prepare and also prevent some of the harms that can radically change the direction of a young life. It is necessary to yeah. intentionally lead them in these digital wellness ways. Because the ways of the world or the ways of culture or the ways of friendships and friends they're going to hang out with will naturally not just inherently teach your kids how to use technology well. Right. No, that's um, and, and and we're this again, we're going to take a break here in a bit. I want to come back and we're going to get into the I know folks like give me the nuts and bolts what it looks like. But yeah. I, what I'm hearing you say is that we we can't avoid this topic. And I think maybe historically it's been you know, probably in the parent handbook of the school, something about, you know, we don't allow cell phones and something very kind of vanilla. And I think the reality is, sounds like we'll get to it. I mean, just we need to have conversations. We need to maybe even create some space in our school day to actually address this head on or else it's sort of they're left unclear. They may know how to navigate Plato's Republic and quote Pliny the Elder and read their Latin, but they don't really know how to wisely navigate the technology. And that's something that isn't probably coming, you know, I think, to, let me ask you this, but I mean, it seems like too, in terms of generational shifts, back when you were getting into this, you still had those of us like myself that, you know, they call us digital immigrants. We didn't come in, we didn't grow up in a world like this. I still remember what a payphone is, but the digital natives that are now in school and now bringing their kids to be schooled who are young parents see the world in a very different way. So that's, uh, yeah. you know, nothing is static. No, and for the um, school leaders that are listening to this, and even parents, I think this is important. Davies, you and I come from a generation, and I know this is still very prevalent, where technology was a class. In other words, it was a vertical. When you looked at a, a curriculum or a school day, technology was a vertical. And what I am asking more and more educators and school leaders to consider is we need to turn technology into a horizontal in that it speaks across different subject matters. It is woven into whatever we happen to be studying. How do we leverage the beauty of technology in Latin? How do we leverage what technology can offer that's positive inside of language arts or history or science or whatever it might be? We don't send kids to obtain tools around digital wellness to the technology teacher in that vertical, that classroom or that time of day. Every educator in a system sees it as his or her responsibility horizontally across the school day to be weaving tips and ideas and encouragement and reminders around how to be a responsible digital citizen in whatever subject I happen to be teaching. Mm. And I think that's a, a powerful shift that I would love to see um, occur in more and more of our educational spaces. Yeah. No, that sounds great, Chris. I want to hear more about that. Why don't we take a quick break? I want to come back and I, I would love to get some updates from you. I love the fact that you are not only trying to help us as parents and educators, you're also keeping an eye on what's going on in terms of legislation and 
you know, you've testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee before. There's a there's a lot that's not happening and uh, and and needs to happen. And I'd love to get your updates on that. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back with Chris McKenna. Our promising young people need a new kind of college that cuts through the failings of the mainstream university and challenges them to turn their conviction into action. Introducing Hildegard College, a new classical Christian college that reclaims the fearless pursuit of the good and the true for the leadership and virtue we need from the next generation. Hildegard uniquely combines a classical liberal arts curriculum with an education in entrepreneurship. Our program is focused and affordable, created for young scholars who seek the rigor of classical education and also the practical knowledge they need to put their passion into practice. Hildegard is located in the cultural hub of Costa Mesa, California, and is currently accepting applications for its inaugural freshman class. Learn more at hildegard.college. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of CLT, or the Classic Learning Test. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast, and we're honored to work alongside all of you in the classical renewal movement. In addition to our beautiful standardized assessments for grades three through 12, CLT also produces a podcast called Anchored that we think Basecamp listeners will enjoy as well. Anchored explores the intersection of education and culture, and it features conversations with leaders across the entire renewal movement, from college presidents and professors to heads of schools and organizational leaders. If you want to stay up to date on all that's been going on in education and in the renewal movement, please check out CLT's Anchored podcast. That's A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D and visit our website at www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. Chris, I want to hear some stories. Testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee, that had to be quite an experience. Uh, what did you see and, and what what encouraged you and what disappointed you? Yeah, equal parts terrifying and fabulous all at the same time. And sure. right across the way here, uh, Davies, and you, people won't be able to see this, so I'm describing something that you just have to visualize. I, I have my little bottle of Senate water and my pad of paper from the Senate Judiciary Committee desk where I was testifying because <laughs> I swiped all of it as I left, thinking this is uh, this is a unique opportunity. So there I took you go. it. There you go. Um, well, you know, we're coming out of the 117th Congress and are still in the process, especially in the House, because you had a party change from the Democrat to Republican control that we haven't fully transitioned into the 118th Congress yet. But man, Davies, let me just be really straight for a minute. We saw nothing happen in the last Congress. Like hmm. it, it blows my mind with our knowledge of signals and harms that are available to us today that more of our legislators couldn't reach across the aisle to get a few things done for kids. Now, I, I'm, I just want, you know, say up front, I'm, I'm not a fan of big government and I don't want them telling me how to parent my kids. And I'm probably going to get a lot of amens on the other side of this, which <laughs> is great. I, I'm right there with you on that. But at the same time, whatever state you happen to live in, um, Michigan, right, where, where I am, not every Michigan child has the luxury of a mom and dad who care about his or her digital well-being. Therefore, let us create legislative guardrails that protect the vulnerable among us from the types of harm that you and I know are ever present three clicks away on an unfiltered iPad that a child stumbles into. Those are the sorts of things legislatively that I just at times go, my gosh, let's agree on a few of those areas. And so I'm hopeful that with this next Congress, 
given the amount of inaction that took place at the federal level, which is why, frankly, Davies, uh, in the past 12 months, I have shifted quite a bit of my uh, legislative energy to the state level because they're more nimble and they're doing something. We had legislation passed in Utah that would activate filters automatically. I mean, imagine a world where you turned on a device and it was filtered. And if you wanted to look at something, you had to go turn that off instead of automatically having a device that is exploitive that you have to hunt for protection, right? It's, it's, these yeah, are the sorts of common sense things down. that we're having yeah. a lot more success at the state level than we are currently at the federal level. So those are some of the things I'm seeing on both sides of that. Yeah. Well, and obviously to your point, we're not going to wait on the government to fix all this, but it would be nice if device manufacturers had a little bit more um, protection in mind when they were coming into the, but that's not how it is. And we know that. And, and I think that's the, you know, the, the real risk that parents face is that we, uh, I've often told this story years ago of a, of a dad who gave his seventh grade daughter a, a smartphone and it was, you know, I need to be able to pick her up after soccer practice and we can coordinate better and had no idea. He later said, I gave her a snake in a box. I had no idea what was going on. And I think probably most of us on the adult side would be shocked. Not that we need to get into all of the, the latest um, apps and TikTok things that are going on that probably most of us would just be horrified to know they're that are going on out there. So, so Chris, what do we do? I mean, I think that's, you know, the pragmatist and it's just saying, okay, I'm a, I'm a parent. Um, you know, if you sit down on the flight and, you know, I was give, give, give this example of, you know, you, so I'm sitting next to you, Chris, we've got five minutes before the plane lands. I've just learned what you do. And I've got, you know, a teenager and a, and a grammar school kid in my house. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Chris, what should I do? What would you say? Well, I, for parents who see harm, who um, are, uh, you know, inclined to do so, take action. What, what we're seeing more often here, Davies, is we're seeing parents rise up and now are starting to bring litigation against large tech companies that harmed them in some way. There is a whole group of just amazingly brave moms um, who lost a child due to a fentanyl overdose, let's say through Snapchat, which is so easy to run into dealers through yeah. Snap Maps and in other places. And and so what I'm I'm seeing more is this grassroots rising up. Go have a conversation, find out. It's amazing to me, and I'm sometimes just as guilty, uh, how little we know about who even our local state or federal representatives even are. Right. Like go have a conversation, make your voice heard. It can't always be from the sort of top down. You don't have to be an organization of any kind. Go and share your story. And so that's one thing that I would encourage parents to do in more of the how can we make waves of change? Because the paper cuts will add up, um, you know, whatever combination of five smooth stones it's going to take. It will happen eventually. <laughs> right. For us. To, to find that combination of, of, of stories and of lived experience that will eventually hold the giant accountable. But I don't want, I don't want any of us just think, well, they're too big. Apple, we can't do anything against Apple. No, that's not true. And 2023, I believe, is going to be the year where we start to see some of those paper cuts adding up as more and more parents are just fed up with the yeah. situation that we've been handed you know, speaking of parents being fed up, I think that's a great reminder is, you know, let's channel our frustration into a healthy, healthy direction. Do you find or are you hearing or seeing of what I would maybe think of as kind of a, a rebel generation of young people today? I, I've seen articles on this where, you know, small groups of these uh, middle school, high schoolers are saying, you know, we, we kind of don't like this. You know, this isn't this isn't edgy and cool. We see the 
the the peers that we have that can't carry on a normal conversation um we see the addictions and the destruction that's coming on we're going to basically be a smartphone group of kids and we're going to basically try to be rebels and go the other way is that trending at all because i'd love to see classical christian schools lead the lead the rebellion in a bit on this is that is that a is there a can you sign up for the rebellion on that can we sign up well it's one of the um, sort of visions that I have is I want to get out of the business of presenting to schools. And instead, I want an army of 17 year olds who is yeah. presenting at elementary yep. and junior highs all over the place, because you're right, they are starting. There was an article and I posted about it online back in December. Um, it was a New York Times article that was titled, Should More Teenagers Ditch Their Smartphones? And the subtitle is, a group of New York City teens are seeking to free themselves from their phones and social media. And they call themselves the Luddite Club, um, <laughs> which is yeah. uh, kind of an old a kind of British term, I think, around that. And they found they, they've gone to flip phones. And there's just really beautiful stories of like one of the teens who admitted, I've walked to school for years. And I finally noticed a graffiti on the building on the way to school. And it's beautiful like because she's always had her head buried in her phone as she walked to school. And yeah, yeah. so that's the sort of story I just love to read. Yeah. And I think, again, not that we want to create you know, re rebellious young people, but in a sense, they are so countercultural. And there's something so beautiful about finding vibrant living community. I remember years ago, I often tell the story of a, uh, a middle school that went off to one of our uh, left a cl our classical Christian school because there wasn't a high school option and went to the local kind of general Christian school and they were having a dance going on and it was a case where the girl asked the guy to the dance deal but she was the only one among all her peers that had the simple basic competence to walk up to the boy and say would you like to go to the dance and everyone else just was going to text and so I mean this is just you know we've just employers see this we're obviously in an age today where just basic human communication is so stilted that I could see a young group of young people saying we're going to we're going to go a different direction and how do we have that conversation which goes back to some things you said earlier and maybe we go back to that for a second which is just what are the practical things other than just put something in your student handbook and maybe speaking first kind of thinking of educators uh, what advice are you offering educators right now? So if you're on the plane, you had five minutes before it lands and you're talking to a, a, you know, an administrator of a classical Christian school, what would you say? I've seen uh, a local private school here, not a classical, actually it's a, uh, it's a Catholic school here that employs quite a few classical education sure. um, uh, strategies as, I, as I've talked yeah. to them. And they have been very bold in they, they have a contract that they have their parents sign around what at home technology rules look like. In other words, right. I'm going to, you know, your, your phrase is brilliant. The, the, the seven and 17, right. The seven that you control versus the 17, you don't, that 301 Problem. sort of yep. issue that you talk about. Right. Yep. And they, they are tired of dealing with it and they have been for years. And so they have said to their parents, you know, as a part of their annual registration process, okay, here are our, our expectations for what kinds of exposures your K through eight children will have the technology at home, not at school, at home, so that they show up healthier to us. And they've been very, uh, very, you know, like I said, yeah. bold about that. And it's something that parents sign. It's like an at-home technology contract. I love that, right? That creates well, a... a Anyway, it, it just makes so it makes so much sense. And again, this is I think is where we as educators have 
been reticent because we, again, we're not, we don't want to ever usurp the role of the parent or the church and all that. But at some point, I think just coming alongside in a spirit of collaboration and, and assistance to say, look, if your kids did sh- were showing up and you didn't feed them, we'd, we'd send home some notes to suggest maybe you feed them breakfast before you send them to school. I mean, it's almost at that base level of these kids are showing up and they probably haven't actually slept and maybe they didn't even eat that well because they were head down on a device. And then we're supposed to show up and awaken them to, you know, long conversations and thoughtfulness and habits of attending. I mean, these things just aren't going to happen. And I think that's absolutely right, Chris. I think we, you know, shame on us if we're not guiding, I think, this generation of parents and partnering with them in the ways you're describing. Because I believe, yeah, I believe that that the dominoes can fall from the school to the home. And then what happens is that domino falls back to benefit the school. And that's even happened at the public school here, large division one public school system that back in 2019, K through 12, now it was already that way in elementary, but K through 12 incorporated an away for the day policy. So during the day, phones cannot be seen. And this is a large affluent suburban community here in West Michigan. And what the superintendent has heard back from parents is that the kids now want to be on their devices less at home. Hmm. They're being trained during the day about the benefits and they're feeling the relational connected benefits of looking at my friend and talking to him or her. And what parents are reporting back to the superintendent is that now they aren't having as many screen time battles at home. So well, that it, yeah, that that decision has flowed that way. And then what does that mean when it flows back? Here's what it means in this district when it flows back. Fewer behavior-related incidents, to your point, showing up the next day, right? So it, this it's this beautiful ebb and flow that started at the school. Now, it didn't just start with him dropping a policy that everybody... It started with some very intentional town hall meetings. Hey, based on the science, here's what I'm seeing in terms of teen attention, right? And you've called me, you've actually elected me as member of this board to do and have certain things to accomplish educationally with your kids. And I'm here to tell you right now that I will never get their hearts if I don't have their attention. I yeah. cannot fulfill my responsibilities right. as right. the leader of this district with devices in their pockets while they're in class. That's my motivation. And his way of getting that buy-in through those kinds of pre-implementation conversations with families, multiple of them was very effective and led to, you know, what's really worked well for them. Well, why don't we take a quick break? I want to come back as you're describing that. I I remember reading just here in the last few weeks, an article where it was the opposite of that, where parents, uh, when the school put in those device restrictions were in, in arms. These are not classical Christian parents, but just in general parent population, in some cases, won't allow it to happen because they're so fearful of not having a, you know, a line tethered to little Johnny during the day in case of, and I get it. I mean, it, it's depending on, especially not non-classical Christian schools can be kind of uh, fear, fearful places to drop your kids off into. And so that, that line of communications being cut by the school that's scary to parents. And I think even in classical Christian schools, there's a little bit of that sense of, yeah, I'm, we're just always connected. So you're asking me to relinquish that, which again, I think that kind of the millennial generation coming into parenting, this is an un, almost an unknown concept. So it sounds like parents in some cases, um, you know, have a hard, as much of a hard time, maybe even more than their students. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a harder sell in certain environments for sure, where 
there isn't strong trust with the teachers sure. and others. And you're almost depending on, you know, students to police that a little bit. And here's a video that now goes viral. It's, it's yeah, no, it's, it's a challenge. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk a little yeah. bit about that. You know, again, just some good advice to parents. And I want to hear the, you've, you've got great recommendations on your website in terms of just the blocking, tackling app apps and devices and those kinds of things. We'll come right back and, and finish up here with Chris McKenna. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. Keith, there's so many words of wisdom that you give us, but I'm going to ask you to, if you could concentrate it all down, if you only had five minutes with a parent group parents or a parent and you could answer what is the one thing that is above everything else and in, in importance in parenting, what would you say? You know, if there is, if I had one shot at parents or a married couple, and I wanted to share with them something that is the most bang for the buck, um, it would really simply be this. We, we have overinflated the role of our emotions so much so that we let them drive our interactions with our children, with our spouses and relationships. And so we need to look at that as a Richter scale, you know, zero to 10. Uh, much like earthquakes, once, once our emotional level gets to about a five, our brain checks out. And the problem is we usually do most of our parenting above a five. We do most of our discussions above a five with our spouses, but our brains are checked out. And so we are guaranteed that when we engage above a five, we will do damage either to our word, to the relationship in, in attacking the other person. And so the simple rule is from now on, when you're dealing with your children, dealing with your spouse, never engage above a five. You know, I call it no parenting above a five, no marriaging above a five. When you start feeling yourself heat up and we all have a tell, we clench, we, we start sweating, you know, whatever it is, walk away. And if we have to walk away 20 times until we can deal with it calmly, then we need to walk away 20 times. That single skill process tool will change the environment in a family. Yeah. I just think about what James says about the tongue. I mean, that little tiny rudder can change the whole ship. So that stupid word in the heat of when you're at an eight and you should be below a five now created five more hours worth of damage you're going to have to sort out. So it's never That's right. an That's efficient right. way forward. Great yeah. advice. Very good. Thanks so much, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. Do you wonder if the traditional system of higher education is the best way to keep your student on the path to flourishing? Are you tired of having to choose between a solid Christian education and practical, marketable skills? We've got good news. You don't have to settle, and your student doesn't have to make the choice between a solid Christian education and skills development. At Excel College, we've combined a world-class, classical Christian education with an apprenticeship model that allows students to gain hands-on experience in the field of their choice while providing them with the context to grow intellectually, spiritually, practically, professionally, and missionally, all the while graduating debt-free. At Excel College, students learn how to build a life, not just make a living. Want to find out more? Sign up for a virtual presentation on our website at www.theexcelcollege.com backslash visit. So Chris, I'm curious with our 
you know, the, the work we do as classical Christian educators is in partnership with, with parents and technology is so much a part of our lives as adults. And I think it's, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So give, give us some advice. I mean, again, I know that in some ways we'd all love to gather in the parking lot and burn our smartphones and, and go all Luddite, but we really, you know, have to work in that world. Um, it's how our businesses operate. It's how we communicate. Uh, if you have a few, you know, back to my flight, five minutes, got a couple minutes to land here on the flight, what else might you offer parents just by way of encouragement advice? Well, start, start early. You know, if the ship has already sailed, I don't want anybody to listen to this and then go just rip the iPhone out of their hands and smash it because that's going to destroy any opportunity you have to create a relational connection on this. And that's so necessary because if you want to go toe to toe, on the tech or the controls, you'll lose that battle every time because they're already smarter <laughs> than yeah. you are. So don't try. Um, you may want to, but don't try. And along with that, don't try is don't spy. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. And that fear that we sometimes have as parents propels us to make some decisions like that. So don't spy on your kids with technology either, because all that does one, it doesn't teach them. And number two, when they find out, it will compel them to become a little digital ninja and they're better than you are. So you will lose that battle every time. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I would point first to just an overall philosophy we have is delay is the way. It's a hashtag that we've used more and more often on social media. And where that gets misinterpreted is delay is the way is a slow tech strategy and not a no tech strategy. So I'm all about right kids, right tech at the right time. And that starts with us modeling what that looks like in our own lives as their caregivers, as their adults. And that then speaks into what we've put together, Davies, as our framework, um, the digital trust framework, five behaviors that we most often see in families who have young people who learn how to use technology in a good, positive, God-honoring way. They tend to do five things consistently and persistently. Um, and it starts at the, the top of the list of phrases is copy me, right? Would you want them to use their technology just like you? And if you get that copy me part, right, then you get into co-play where I'm doing tech with you and I'm alongside shoulder to shoulder and I'm involved in your tech, not because I'm trying to control it, but because I'm curious about how you interact with technology and curiosity is then that third component of building digital trust. It's a posture for how we interact with them. Hey, I, you know, I saw you were watching that that um, video about Minecraft. What'd you learn? That's, that's cool. Like, you are interested in the things of technology that they might be interested in. One, you know, I often will say if your kid, and I don't understand why, Davies, that young kids like to watch other kids unwrap toys on YouTube. But if that's your kid's thing, then it's your thing too, right? So these are the sorts of shoulder to shoulder curious moments that start to teach our kids that technology is a we activity and not a me activity. Because one-on-one, -on -one, it's stronger. That algorithm, whether you are 4, 14, or 40, it will figure you out. I mean, is it porn? Is it fantasy football? Is it gambling? Is it FanDuel? Is it eating? Is it shopping? Whatever it is, the algorithm will eventually identify the most intoxicating version of an ad or words or an algorithm that fits you, and it will get you, right? So I... I, that's why I want to be with our kids in these digital environments as much as possible. So, I mean, what you're hearing as I explain these things is I'm a pro-tech guy, right? It's pro-kid, pro-tech, but protect in the midst of that sort of attitude about technology. Now, if you want to cut the cord and just go complete no tech, I, I, I will honor that. 
but what I would also say is if your answer is no, then still talk to them about technology as if you've said yes, because I still want them to be prepared for the digital doorways that you haven't anticipated, you haven't controlled, you didn't even know existed in their life so that they have tools in their belt, even if they're not using that tool on a device that's in their pocket. So those are some of the, yeah, I would call them the most practical kinds of things. And we just had our five minute, now the plane has landed kind of conversation. So, <laughs> Well, there's, and again, I've said it a couple of times in here, obviously this isn't a static uh, enemy, if you will, at our gates. This is a real uh, constantly changing. And so, you know, the, the, the things that lured our, our kids three years ago is different. And, you know, we, we didn't really get into the big conversation about AI. It's still it's coming so fast. Um, you know, is, this yeah. whole chat GPT thing that's big now where you just put in a topic and all of a sudden it's, it's kind of, it's amazing and scary at the same time. All of a sudden an entire paragraph on a topic can be written. I put in what is classical Christian education. I was like, wow, that's actually a pretty good definition pretty that good. came from yeah. this. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, R2D2 or whoever wrote that thing, it was pretty amazing. And, and now it's going to create a whole layer of, of challenges in terms of what's real, what's not real. Um, so I think your job, you, you've got good job security there, Chris, as far as helping us untangle this. So, you know, um, and, and I guess the, uh, practical thing to say is, you know, what, uh, I know now we're at the baggage claim area, by the way, we're almost done here. So, um, you know, Hey, what about just best practices on apps, devices, routers? I, is the best place to go to your website? I know you've got some good practical suggestions there. Yeah, it is. Um, we have an app that we've built that um, can still be downloaded, uh, has a lot of, in fact, like over 500 little mini lessons for ADD brains like mine <laughs> that chase squirrels all day long. I can't. Uh, so I built it to, to even satisfy my attention span, so to speak. And those are the things we, we just want to be. We want to help for those who feel overwhelmed, because what you heard sort of in my my history there, Davies, and for others, is that I'm not a tech guy by education or profession, right? And so sometimes that little voice inside of us as parents or as, you know, even generationally school leaders, whoever you are, is that, well, it's just too much. I can't, you know, I, I believe all of us have the ability, if not technically, because you don't understand the bits and bytes and the cables, relationally, to lead our kids in the digital age by speaking, you know, truth and curiosity and um, you know, coming alongside them while they're while they're in their technology. So, you know, that's staying connected to our free newsletter so that when we ship a blog post like the ultimate guide to chat GPT, which is actually going out at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, and those kinds of things can help anybody listening to this stay up to date on what's happening right now. We are very active on social media, but some listening to this would go, but Chris, I don't want it. And I get that too. So that's where multiple of those channels will take care of the what's trending now kind of question, because we take very seriously our job every week to kind of go into, I relate it to like, there's this room of confetti that is all the things technology that I could care about. And my job at Protect Young Eyes is to walk in there based on what I think parents and school leaders need. And I want to walk out with the handful of confetti pieces that is most pertinent for your family, mm. your your school, whatever it is. But then I can't force you to study what I put in my hand. I, I need you to do something with it. But we've at least distilled it down right. into the parts that I think are most pertinent. And that's a job we take very seriously. But 
those are the the ways, whether it's through our social postings or that newsletter that you know anybody can um, register for on our website or maybe in the show notes to this, whatever it is, but a number of ways to keep up to date. Yeah, and just it's protectyoungeyes.com, I guess, if all else fails, go there and, and the uh, there you go. resources are all, all, all to be found. Um, just as we close out, I know you and I were talking before it's for school leaders. I'm excited. I'd love just kind of a teaser there on some projects you're working on with school certification and just helping to really, uh, again, to your comment, we're just overwhelmed, all of us, whether we're running schools, parents, and doing both for sure is overwhelming. And to try to conquer this you know, Goliath technology, Goliath in front of us, um, it's great to have your help. And so what does certification look like? What, what's that going to be when it gets uh, all developed? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that Davies. Um, so we do a lot of talks and we have curriculum and have over the years pulled together what I see are 10 best practices around a school that has a comprehensive approach to digital wellness. Um, which has underneath it the safety component, but it's more than just protecting them from the stuff. It's preparing them for the stuff that we don't even know about. And that's where just this attitude of wellness comes in. So we are in the process of developing sort of a four-part, think of like four sections, but a, a certification where a school could be PYE certified because you've evaluated certain policies, you've taken care of cer certain professional development, you have equipped your parents in a certain way, you've as we spoke about earlier, you incorporated this sort of horizontal approach to curriculum with technology. And if those things are all done, then you are PYE certified, which to a parent who's looking at a prospective school, I think would go, okay, what does that mean? You click on it and there's a little hover that says, these are the things, the activities in this school that are preparing young people about how to be digitally healthy. I want that, right? So there's that, that's the sort of dynamic and value that we hope that sort of certification process might bring to a spot, you know, where parents yeah. are hoping that a school is taking care of that stuff. No, that's, I love that idea. And and I know there's cheering going on of, of school leaders who are thinking, I've already got enough to think about. If you can give me a leg up and a guidebook and some assistance on this, thank you. Thank you. So Chris, I do thank you for your time and your updates. I know we could chat on for a long time. There's obviously a, there's a huge space, a lot going on with it. I'm so grateful that you wake up in the morning and think about it. Help us walk through this uh, fog of technology uh, challenges that are coming at us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. And if you know someone wanted us to talk more, just go to chat GPT and type in what would part four look like for Chris and Davies? And I'm sure it has an answer. So there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll end with actually just today, I was um, intrigued. There's, a, there's an, another AI kind of thing out there. We're getting ready for our, our summer conference and I was recording a video and I somehow came across this service. Now you can just write up a text and send it off and they will have a person that's not really a person, but looks like a real person. They're an AI person that will basically read the script and it is downright scary. I mean, that looks like a person who never actually exists, but they look as real as you and me having this winsome uh, persuasive conversation to come to the SEL summer conference. And I thought that's scary. And we know that to be the case. You, you look at video today and you think, is that real or is it made up? We don't know anymore. It's it's gotten that oh, good. No. So it's a, yeah. a crazy world we're in, Chris. But I'm glad you're you're out there helping us see through it, and uh, appreciate it. And we'll look forward to having you back. Hopefully, it won't take two years to get you back. Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter Hannah here, and I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years 
of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.